Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. JJ's back. <sighs> Rehearse the intro. Hope you like that. A lot of thought went into that. JJ's back. Do you remember the um, Rambo? Rambo 2, Rambo 3 poster, Rambo's back. Love that. Yeah, I'm back. I wasn't here last week. I'm sorry. I know you miss me. Um, I don't know how you coped without me, but um, listen, don't worry because I'm here now and it's all going on and everything's working, um, I'm sure. Uh, I'm the consummate professional, so I'm going to assume it's all working. Let's just assume it's all working, shall we? Um, so I've got some questions to go through of my own, but if you've got any questions on Instagram or on uh, the old Facebook, then please uh, feel free to chip in and ask away. What's that noise? Um, so maybe it was just in here. So I'm just going to jump in. You know what I'm saying? Jump. I'm just going to jump right in. That's what they say. That's what the, um, the YouTubers say. I've been studying it. Um, advice on breast implants. This is a long one. Uh, what are the chances of a silicone implant uh, rupturing? Um, oh, by the way, hello, Olivia, and hello, Khan. Olivia and Khan, is everything okay? And are we uh, are we working? Is everything working? I'm going to assume it is. I'm going to make that assumption. And I'm going to crack on. And Instagram, I'm assuming everything's okay. Um, right. What are the chances? Back to the uh, question in point. What are the chances of a silicone implant rupturing? And what would be the consequence? Which implant type looks the most natural? Is it true that you can hear the water from the implant when moving? Have you had many people that have had breast implant illness? Do you offer monthly finance plans? So, um, good. It's all working. Thank you, Khan. Thank you, Olivia. Uh, I'm going to assume it's all working on Instagram, but, uh, you know, if you could um, give me a sign. That'd be nice. It's a bit high. So, a few questions there about implants. Good questions, mind. Good questions. Not going not gonna to thumbs up. Yep, thanks, uh, my private. Right, so... Um, Right, let's take them in turn, shall we? What are the chances of a silicone implant rupturing and what will be the consequence? So the newer implants are a bit more robust than the older implants. Um, most of the, they, they used to, back in the day, they used to have a sort of um, cheap range and a more expensive range. Um, we And we would just use the, expensive ones we didn't really use the cheap ones that much um slash at all um but now we own i don't know maybe some people do still make a cheap range i don't know but i think most of them are pretty premium uh in terms of the shell they have a double shell um the gel is cohesive gel uh so-called form stable which means it's not liquid gel so even if the so the so the 
consequences of a rupture are less significant in that the, the gel doesn't tend to leak liquid silicone into the breast uh, like the old ones did. Also, the gel is medical grade silicone, so it doesn't tend to be too irritative. Is that a word? Anyway, um, irritating probably is a better word. Um, and so um, it doesn't cause so much of a reaction in the breast in terms of granulomas and things you used to see back in the day. Um, silicone granulomas and lumps in the breast caused to, uh, due to free silicone in the breast. Um, so the, the, they are safer in rupture these days. And also, as I say, they have double shells. They're a bit more robust with the shell. Uh, and so the uh, risk of rupture is a lot less. And so I normally say to people, the problem you're going to get, if you're going to get a problem in the future, is more likely capsular contracture. If you're going to need your implants changed, it's more likely going to be hardening of the implant than rupture. Rupture is not that common. I mean, it does happen. It is a thing, but it's not as common as I think some people perhaps perceive it to be. It uh, takes quite a lot of force to rupture an implant. Uh, they are pretty robust. And in fact, you what you've got to think is um, of your body and the amount of force that it takes to rupture an implant is likely to do some pretty, pretty significant damage to your body in terms of breaking bones and, you know, do, doing quite a lot of trauma to your body. So probably the implant rupture would be quite low down on your on your priorities if you did suffer that sort of trauma it's something like a road traffic accident something like that you know and um you can that that sort of trauma can can rupture implants so um the other thing is just on the implant rupture uh question the uh there's two types there's intracapsular and extracapsular so intracapsular rupture is often what's called a silent rupture so people don't know it's happened because it's maintained within the capsule of the implant uh, and personally, I don't tend to routinely scan patients. I, I know some surgeons do routinely scan patients with implants in. I don't routinely scan patients because um, the scans are not 100% and it can cause or at least create more questions than it answers sometimes having the scan. Because um, if it's just a shell, if the shell has just sort of broken, um, and it's held within the capsule and this, you know you've got no symptoms you know it's, it can be difficult to know what to do uh, particularly since sometimes the scans um, can be inaccurate and I've had it both ways in that the scan have said it's ruptured and it's not on the scan it said it's not it is so it can be difficult to know what to do in terms of in those circumstances but um, but still um, crikey that's the first part of the first question so yeah rupture is pretty rare and if it happened, the consequences are often not much. And to be honest with you, sometimes you were changing implants for another reason and you might find they're ruptured incidentally. Um, and, and so the consequences are not significant because it doesn't tend to cause inflammation or problems in the breast with the with the silicone because it doesn't tend to leak liquid silicone like the old ones used to. So um, part one. What's, oh, Olivia's got a question. Okay, yeah, okay, Olivia, I'm stuck. To be honest with you, Olivia, this is quite a bit. We got they, there's some, the questions from now on are smaller, but this is a long one. So it was advice on breast implants, and it's um, chances of it rupturing. What are the consequences? Which implant type looks the most natural? So the thing that makes the implant look natural is really the shape of the implant, and it's really shape and width that's important and to be honest with you that's those are the two most important things when choosing a breast implant shape and width not 
volume. Everybody worries about volume, perhaps not unreasonably when you're looking at implants and they search and scour the internet for people with different sizes and think, should I have a 300 or a 280 or a 320 or the whatever? And actually volume doesn't matter that much. What really matters is width. The width has to be right because if it's too wide, you can get a web between the breasts in masculine, you can get it sticks out and your arm hits it and, and shape. And the shape of implants means round or teardrop and also they come in different profiles, low, moderate, high, and extra high profile. They some stick out more than others. So the shape uh, and the profile are really important and you've got to add that onto your breast. So it's very hard to say that a teardrop implant is going to give you this look, a moderate profile implant, round implant is going to give you this, this look, because it's going to give a different look on different people, on different breast shapes. So, you know, if you've got no breast tissue at all, that's when I think the teardrop implants do come in because a lot of the shape of the breast is going to come from the implant because you haven't really natural breast tissue. When you've got some natural breast tissue, then you have to take that into account. Sometimes people have got a tissue sitting a bit low, their breasts are sitting a little bit low. And in those circumstances, sometimes a round implant can give a natural look by giving some volume to the upper pole as well as um, enhancing the lower pole. So that is what is the trick when you're trying to get a natural result. It's getting the shape, uh, getting the profile, and getting the width right. Um, so when you say which type of implant, there are different types, and there are different types in terms of the, the, the shell of the implant. They come as, well, the, the, the filling and the shell. So the filling can be saline or silicone, and the shell can be smooth, textured, or polyurethane foam. Um, and those things aren't going to make a huge difference to giving you a natural result. There are pros and cons of all those different shell types, but the aim is to give, well, if you assume you want a natural result, you can get a natural result with any of them. Um, it's more the shape and the profile of the implant rather than the sort of type of implant, rather than the coating of the implant that causes, um, that causes the implant to look natural or not natural. Is it true that you can hear the water from the implant when moving? Yes, and uh, we have this in our post-op instruction sheet, and I warn people about this. When you first have surgery, you can often have um, feel a squelch, squelching and and, uh, and and a bit of sloshing about, and it's due to fluid and air. It's the air-fluid interface causing a bit of a squelch, and um, and you can often hear a noise, and it can be a bit disconcerting, and we often get phone calls in the first days after surgery saying what the earth's going on. Um, it's totally nothing to worry about and it will get better on its own in a few days, maybe a week, it will get better on its own. So it's nothing to worry about, but it's often the case in the early stages, you can get funny uh, feelings and funny sensations. Have you had many people that you that have had breast implant illness? No, personally, no, I don't think, am I right in saying this? I don't think to the best of my uh to the best of my recollection, I don't think I've had any patients of mine, I'm trying to think, who have had breast implant illness. I've never had a patient who I put breast implants in who have had breast implant illness. Breast implant illness is a situation where people uh, who have implants in uh, feel unwell. It's usually quite non-specific, uh, uh, tiredness, brain fog, hair loss, skin rashes, 
um, quite non-specific symptoms which they attribute to their implants and when you remove the implants they feel better so um, I don't think I've actually had any patients who've had it however having said that I have treated patients with it so I have seen patients who've had surgery by other surgeons who have come to see me who feel that they have uh, breast implant illness and it's very difficult to know how to advise because we have to say there's no medical cause that can link implants with these symptoms and so you might still get the symptoms if you remove the implants but in the situations where I've done it and I can think of two cases um, they have felt better straight away they feel better so you know it is a thing there's no question about it it is a thing uh, but it's not a common thing in my practice um, do you offer monthly finance plans? Yes, uh, we um, the hospitals offer 0% finance. Now, um, depends on what hospital you have your surgery in. And I used to work in two hospitals locally, which have both been used by the NHS, although they said after the new year, they'll be back on stream. But um, at the moment, they're both being used by the NHS. So uh, uh, we're not working there. But, uh, the, but they do offer um uh, finance they do offer 0% finance for 12 months so yeah wow big question big question gastric fantastic's got a question on instagram loving that bits and bobs going on on the um on the old facebook look this is what we need interaction it's what we need people <laughs> coming and going can't is all good yes all working olivia what you got olivia Ooh, I've got a question. Is it normal for swelling around the hips and above the scar line after tummy tuck? Should I be worried? Nearly five weeks post-op. No, Olivia. Five weeks is nothing. Five weeks is nothing. Five weeks is really, really early and you often get swelling. Uh, and it starts to settle at three months, Olivia, in my view. I've said this to you before, Olivia. You've got to talk to your surgeon because I'm not your surgeon. So you've got to talk to your surgeon. So don't. I mean, stuff like that is fine. I'll tell you in general terms. But... Um, Always best to talk to your surgeon, but yeah, five weeks totally wouldn't worry. Uh, it is nothing. You have got plenty of time to go. Olivia's got another question. Two questions by Olivia. Another question. If you are likely to get necrosis of your nipple or belly button, at what point after surgery would they fall off? Everything is looking fine currently, but I do worry. They'd have fallen off by now, Olivia. Uh, falling off is a, is a bit of a, a, a bit, a bit uh, they don't fall off. Uh, they go dark. They go discolored. Uh, and then they go black i guess if it if it's complete necrosis um so you'll be worried pretty soon after the surgery um of some duskiness uh, particularly in terms of the nipple uh with breast reductions uh you worry about the blood supply to the nipple and so um in the first sort of um few days slash couple of weeks uh, and it will be pretty obvious straight away but they well i say it's pretty obvious they'd be pretty obvious there might be some concerns straight away and it can go either way sometimes it can pick up and the blood supply can pick up and you might get no necrosis sometimes you get partial necrosis very rarely you would get complete necrosis where it just form a scab uh, that can happen you're absolutely right it can happen in your belly button uh, with the tummy tuck and it can happen with the nipple with uh, breast reduction but um, yeah, you, you, if you're five weeks post-off, Olivia, you're out of the woods on that one. So you can rest easy. You can sleep well tonight. Cat, how do you tell if the implants have bottomed out? Cat, a lot of this, and this is one of the problems with the, the, the internet, Cat. People get into it and they've got all these technical terms and they get all fancy with their abbreviations and everything. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about fancy terms. 
basically it either looks okay or it doesn't cat so you know it's up to the patient whether it looks okay and if the patient thinks it looks okay it looks okay if the patient doesn't think it looks okay then it doesn't look okay it doesn't matter what we as doctors call it we might call it bottoming out or snoopy deformity or double bubble or waterfall deformity we have all these funny names for all these stuff but don't worry about it and the problem is with the internet everyone goes and says, oh have i got this or have i got that well listen here's the question cat are you happy or are you not happy if you're not happy then we've got to have a look if we can do something about it and see where what's going on if you are happy then great you're happy um so that's my view on bottoming <laughs> so how do you tell if they're bottomed out well bottoming out is when the implant descends uh well it's usually with an implant descending below the, the inframammary fold. You can have it with breast um, uh, reduction, reductions where the uh, breast volume goes into the lower part of the breast and the it, the nipple can be on the upper part and it can make the nipple look like it's high. Um, uh, uh, so that's bottoming out. It's called pseudotosis. So it looks like the, um, the, 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 the the breast has got a sort of droop to it, but it has the nipples sitting in a good place. But it's just there's too much volume below the nipple. Um, but it's basically this shape: too much volume, too much volume of breast in the lower part of the breast. Um, and if you don't think they look bad, cat, then they. I'm assuming it's you. Maybe it's someone you know. If you or they think it looks okay, then it looks okay. And if they don't think it looks okay, it doesn't matter what you call it. You know, you have to look at the doc, see the doctor, and see if something can be done about it. But uh, yeah, oh, you have said implants. So if the implants are bottom out, it's when they descend below the the, the uh, inframammary fold, uh, and you often get a, this sort of double bubble thing. Uh, Laura, I have grade three encapsulation. Will they rupture if not removed? My original surgeon will not remove for free, even though it's within ten years warranty. Good question, Laura. Gastric, fantastic. I know you're there. I know you're there, and you're patient. And it's just I'm. I've got it. I, what I'm going to do after this, I'm going to go to, to Gastric Fantastic because I can't remember what. I need a, I need a, um, I need a PA. That's what I need. I need a PA to, to keep in track of the question. Um, so Laura, so basically, uh, capsular contracture starts off with uh, grade one, which means you can't see or you can't feel it. So everybody's got grade one. Thank you. Dog agrees with me on that, on that one. Um, great. Thank you. That's grade two. There you go. Grade two is you can feel it, but you can't really see them. Grade three, you can see them. Grade four, they get painful. So it's really grade three, four, you'd think about doing some surgery to them. Now, Laura, you've got to be a little bit careful in terms of warranties. Um, and see, people think, oh, if I've got a 10-year warranty, uh, and it's within my 10-year warranty, often the 10-year warranty or the warranty that people talk about might just be with the implant. So you've got to think, what does the warranty cover? So often the warranty just covers the implant. So the implant people will give you a new implant, um, but they might not cover the surgical costs. So you've got to be a bit careful what the implant, uh, what the warranty covers. Um, and my, so will they rupture if not removed? Well, Laura, they might rupture, but it's got nothing to do with the capsule contracture. The capsule contracture is going to, not going to make them rupture. Um, I mean, they might rupture if they're not removed, just like they might rupture even if you didn't have capsule contracture. So that's irrespective of, the, of your capsule contracture. And my advice for people with capsule contracture is always leave it as long as you can, Laura. Um, if you, if it's uncomfortable, well, it's not uncomfortable because it's grade three. But if you don't like the look of it and you're really cheesed off with it, and you can change them. But of course, capsule will start coming on your new set of implants. So you've got to be a bit careful um changing your implants because another set of implants 
um, will start to develop a capsid contracture as soon as you put them in. Um, and so you want to wait as long as possible before changing your implants. But um, it's not going to rupture, Laura. There's no harm in leaving it, Laura. No harm at all in leaving it. In fact, I would say it's good to leave it as long as you can, except for that you might not like the look of it. Facebook, we're switching to Instagram now because because uh, Gastric Fantastic's got a question on Instagram. Is there any right way or wrong way to ask about size of implants? My sister had implants at McKindo in East Grinstead and was so intimidated by the surgeon, she didn't ask for what she really wanted. Yes. Um, well, God, be honest with you, Gastric Fantastic. It's a very um, it's a competitive market, breast uh, implant surgery, and there's a lot of people offering it. So, if you're intimidated by your surgeon that you can't ask what you want, I would say um, look for another surgeon. Um, I mean, it's 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 the whole job. I you know the whole the whole deal when you're doing breast implants is to try and get an understanding of what the patient wants because that's how you get a happy patient. And if you haven't got a rapport with the patient, and if the, rapport has, if the patient hasn't got a rapport with the surgeon, then you worry that you're not going to get um, the result you want. And you, it's a bit of a lottery then, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to ask. Wong? Wong. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to ask for, for the um, size of the implants. No, I think, you know, I think it's really tough. I've got to be honest with you to know what size of implants and people often come and say I want 250cc or I want 300cc um, I'm always like well it's the shape and profile and the width and all that so we have to measure you and we have to um, go through it all with you and uh, don't be intimidated by the surgeon just get you know and what I do is I we try and size us to get an idea of volume look at people who've got the different shapes and profiles and try and bring that into your frame as to what's right for you and try and come out with a plan and say look if you, you know come back if you're not sure but uh, if you're intimidated, that then, then doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound good, does it? Yeah. Just, you know, mm, there's no right way to ask for it. You just have to have a conversation, try and get a rapport with the surgeon. Inas Mohammed, how much do you do for stomach? How much do you do for stomach? Inas, what do you mean, how much do you do for stomach? What do you mean? Uh, how much do I do for stomach? Do you mean how much price? Um, how much is an abdominoplasty? Is that what you mean? It's tummy tuck. I don't know, Ines. If you drop us an email, or if you go on the website and say request a price, and you fill in your name and email address, we'll send you information about tummy tucks, prices, and all that stuff. There's a button somewhere on the website, cyanoplasticsurgery.co.uk forward slash. I don't know what it is, tummy tuck or something, but it'll be on. The Maybe it's abdominoplasty. Anyway, the tummy tuck page on the website will give you a price. I don't know what off, what off, the, off the top of my head. He was old school. I won't mention names. He's retired. Yeah, well, they are a bit the old. He kept saying natural. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, mm, that's the problem, I think. I think the, the old school don't get away with it these days. You have to talk to patients, unfortunately. These, not unfortunately. <laughs> Not unfortunately, can we scrub that? Can we scrub that, please? Not unfortunately, I didn't say that. It's nice that you've got to talk to patients, but you can't get away with just being like what the old school people were like, where they said, Yeah, you want implants, sign on the form, I'll do some implants. You've got to, you've got to talk to patients and get 
an understanding of what they want. That's what I'm trying to say. What's going on? So he kept saying that, oh yeah, price, NS price. Yeah, price, it's on the it's on the website, NS thing. Laughing as you could. Right, what's going on? What's going on? Come on. Laura's got grade three. We knew about that. Good evening, says Stuart. Long time no see, Stuart. Hope you're okay. Uh, hope all's going well. Um, gastric's back at me. So ultimately, we should trust our surgeons. Um, yeah. Well, put it like this, gastric, fantastic. If you don't trust your surgeon and it's an elective procedure that you're paying a lot of money for, go get find another surgeon. That's what I would say. Yeah, so you should trust your surgeon, and if you don't trust them, look for one that you can trust. Reasonable? I don't know. Discuss. Um, Olivia's back. Is it normal to feel the cold more after surgery? I've been freezing since I got back to the UK. No, Olivia, it's got cold. I don't think it's anything to do with the surgery. It has got cold, Olivia. It has got cold. I think we're all freezing, to be honest with you. In fact, I've got... Actually, that's a point. I've got my blanket here. On. There you go, that's what you need to get yourself. Should have done that before, shouldn't I? But then I couldn't have done my back thing. Um, good news, good. Uh, where are we up to? Where are we up to? Stuart, what's happening with Stuart? What's happening in your life, Stuart? Totally odd question, this one. If a person stops smoking two weeks prior to surgery, does it reduce the risk of complications? Only asking, I have interest, I don't smoke. Look at that. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't, he's asking for the rest of the people. He's asking it for you smokers out there, guys. Yes, it is good. Actually, really, what you want to do, yes, is the answer, straight answer to that. I get told on YouTube a lot, I waffle a lot. Can you believe it? I'm a waffler, apparently. Can't believe it. A lot of abuse on YouTube videos saying get to the point. I'm a, you know, I'm a professional. I'll, you know, take the, uh, take the abuse. Uh, I'm not going to waffle on this one, Stuart. I'm going to go straight in. Yes. It does stop the ruse, but better still, I'm going to I'm going to expand on it. I'm not waffling, I'm expanding. Better still, six weeks to it. Really, you really want to give six weeks uh, pre-op to uh, really reduce your risk of complications. And the really bad time is the two weeks of healing. And it depends a little bit on the on the op. If you're looking at something like a tummy tummy tuck, breast lift, facelift, arm lift, any of these ones where you're closing the skin tight. You're looking at um, you have to stop smoking. Really, I would I would say in my practice anyway, because the risk of complications is too much in terms of wound healing. But yes, um, yeah, good question, Stuart. Thank you. A few smoking guys out there, not for like, the likes of me and Stuart, because uh, we don't smoke. Olivia, I'm scared to look at my boobs. Okay, Olivia's scared to look at her boobs, guys. You heard it here first. Cat, um, I'm happy. I think we do question everything and compare ourselves to others. Yes, I think we do, Kat. And if you're happy, that's it. Forget about the double bubble and the and the or the what it wasn't double bubble. What was it you asking about? Bottoming out. If you're happy, that's it, Kat. End of story. Move on. Job done. Um, Liz, right, guys. Can I just point something out here? How far in are we? With thirty minutes in, guys. And Liz is the first person to use hashtag AskJJ. I don't know how many years I've been doing this Q&A and um, I've been trying to promote the hashtag AskJJ. Gastric Fantastic has just asked something without the hashtag AskJJ. Come on, Gastric, you should know better. Um, anyway, thank you, Liz, for the hashtag there. Hashtag AskJJ, we're trying to get that trending on Facebook. Do we do, we do trending? Does that thing? 
things. Anyway, uh, don't know why I over the pudding. I'm planning a TT, tummy tuck, that is, and uplift, but worried about keloid scarring. I've heard it is more likely with black skin. Is there anything I can do to prevent or reduce it? Um, yes, Liz, I would be worried about that too. Um, and it is more worried in black skin. It is more It is more worried. It is more common. It is more common if you've had any scars already, particularly uh, if you've got any evidence of keloid scarring in yourself or in your family, it is a worry. And, uh, you know, particularly something like a, a, an uplift because the scars are on the front. So that is a real worry, uh, keloid scarring. And um, the problem really with keloid scarring is it's the way your body heals um, or not your body, one's body heals. And so um, it's really hard. If there was stuff that we could do to reduce it, we would probably do that for everybody. So really, um, the main thing is to be aware of it pre-op, to look at your risk. So if you have got a significant risk of it, if you've got other keloid scars or if you've got keloid scars in your family, I would seriously consider whether it's worth having the surgery. Genuinely, I would seriously consider that because obviously the surgery is there. Yes, it is functional because there is a lot of discomfort with um, with the tummy tuck and having an apron and um, perhaps to a lesser degree, but still there with the breasts. But there's a significant element of the surgery is cosmetic. And so like the way it looks, you want to improve the way it looks. And if you have keloid scarring, that can have uh, obviously a negative outlook on the way it looks and so you don't want to uh, uh, give someone you know make someone who doesn't like the way their tummy looks then they pay thousands of pounds for a tummy tuck and they get terrible keloid scarring and then they still don't like the way their tummy looks so that would be a bad thing so i would genuinely worry about it if there is a history or, or a risk of it with with you in particular and uh, there's nothing particularly we can do to the surgery there are things we can do afterwards and there are treatments for keloid scars. So there are stuff we can do if the scar becomes keloid. So what I would personally do is I'd say, look, you know, first of all, make a decision where you're having the surgery or not. And if you are going to go ahead with the surgery, then we have to keep a close eye on things. And if there ever is any evidence of it, the scars becoming keloid or hypertrophic, then get in there and start treating them early. But nothing particularly we can do to stop it. Uh, gastric fantastic, hashtag ask JJ, hasn't gone unnoticed. Laura, they are painful and hard, in which case they're probably grade four then, Laura. Um, this is the capsule contracture. Keep up, people, keep up. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's grade four, Laura. Um, yeah, and so if, if they're painful and hard, you might want to have them changed. Not unreasonably, Laura, not unreasonably. Um, but they might not be covered under a warranty. You'd have to look what the warranty includes because often the warranty just includes the implants. So, But, um, yeah, I'm sorry if your surgeon's not been helpful. Aida says, good evening. Good evening, Aida. Aida. Tracy's in the house. Big up yourself, Tracy. Stuart is recovering nicely. Latest surgery was nine weeks ago. I remember, Stuart, you were going to have it all done around the lock time. Lockdown, lock time. Lockdown time. So you had it done, Stuart. Yes. Well done. Nine weeks post-op. Yeah, you will be. But good on you, Stuart. Good on you. Take it easy. Waffling's good. It means you're thorough. There we go. We've got a fan. Um, boobs are very alien. Olivia, I don't know. I, Olivia, I really don't know. what. <laughs> Have you had something done to your boobs then? What did you say? So, yeah. Anyway, if you've had surgery to your boobs, Olivia, it often looks a bit weird to start off with. But again, stick with your surgeon. And make sure they're comfortable with everything but um 
again if it's immediately post-op you're probably still in a healing phase oh sorry laura i've got i've got i'm sorry i've, I've got um gastric said something on instagram I've got to try and in the absence of a of a question manager i'm doing all this on my own um trying to multitask I've got to try and be um, fair you know so gastric I also got the all clear today, but that was luck, not my efficiency. And would like to remind the ladies to get your smears. COVID doesn't stop this stuff. Yes, uh, oh, I see. I told you to do hashtag Ask JJ, but that wasn't really a question, was it, Gastric? So perhaps you didn't need to do hashtag Ask JJ. But thank you, Gastric. Yeah, Gastric has uh, reminded us in a previous Facebook Live slash Instagram Live of the importance of doing our smears during COVID uh, uh, for, for the female members. Um, um, and that is a good message to get across yeah make sure you're keeping up with your smears well, and fantastic that you got your all clear there gastric high five boom yeah what that worked quite well didn't it <laughs> facebook high five yeah okay right don't overdo it jay don't overdo it okay laura leanne Malady. good evening i hope you're well just an inquisitive question. So I'm six WPO. Look at that for a TLA. WPO. That is a nice TLA there, Laura. I'm assuming that's six weeks post-op. Anyway, I'm six WPO with BA unders and healing beautifully. Last week I slipped in the bath, grabbed the side and heard a Velcro noise coming from the side where I extended my arm. Oh my God, it's giving me the eebie-jeebies. Along with some movement in my boob. Oh God. I've no pain and no change in shape. However, I'm just wondering what could this noise have been? It really made me cringe. I messaged my patient care coordinator in case at the time it was something to worry about, but she said as long as there was no pain or change in appearance, there's nothing to worry about. Yeah, I mean, probably um, probably go along with that, Laura. Um, when you actually go, sorry, how long are you? Six weeks. So when you go back into surgery, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here, Laura. I'm going to make an assumption that they're textured silicone implants, because that's the most common in this country. So I'm going to make an assumption that they're textured silicone implants. And textured silicone implants, when you go in and you remove them, if you have to remove them for any reason, you put your finger and it's a bit like Velcro. So I wonder if it's just the implant becoming integrated with the capsule and just a pull, put implant pulling away from the capsule a bit there, maybe. Um, that would sort of fit. Um, but yeah, I agree. No pain, no change in shape. Um, the appearance looks fine. I probably wouldn't worry about it. I think it's, I think that's okay, Laura. But that might be what it is. Just a bit of traction with the implant and the capsule. Right, Olivia's over-egging it now. Ask JJ. Stuart's asking JJ. Let's get the figures up, guys. Come on. Hashtag ask JJ. Let's get, I think that's going to do it, guys. I think that's enough. I think three, writing it three times, that's going to get it trending. I'm, I'm sure of it. Not that I know much about this social media influence malarkey. Stuart, I had keloid scarring from surgery from one surgeon, not with another. Mm. It's, well, well, Stuart, it's not, I'm not sure. There's a lot of things you can blame on a surgeon. Well, one thing is delayed healing. Delayed healing can increase your risk of hypertrophic scarring, which is slightly different to keloid scarring. Um, but if you have a delayed healing, which if the wound doesn't heal up properly, then you're more likely to have hypertrophic scarring. But I'm not sure if there's any evidence to say a surgeon can adjust much. There are some things we sometimes do, like using non-dissolvable sutures to make less inflammation, which might have an effect. But that might be coincidence. It might be part of your body. Some parts of the body are more prone to keloid scarring than others. 
But um, anyway, who knows? Yeah. And you went on to have more surgery, so hope everything's all right, all right this time. Olivia, think boobs are fine, just so strange to look at. Well, that's good. Mentor Silk Plus, my lovely. Thank you. <laughs> right, Mentor Silk Plus. That sounds like cigarettes. Motiva. Oh, Motiva Silk Plus. Right, okay, so those are sort of like, um, they're not that, they're a bit textured, I think, aren't they? They're a bit sort of um, slightly, yeah. Hashtag ask JJ for the sake of it, Olivia. That's what we like to see. Get it in there. Yeah, why not? Uh, good. Okay, right, good. Actually, this is going along. This is going along back with Kat's question, isn't it? Kat was asking about, um, is capsular contracture dangerous and painful? Well, capsular contracture, at the end of its, uh, uh, at the end becomes painful. So it's hard first and then it becomes painful. Um Dangerous? No. This might have been you asked, is it, Kat? So um, dangerous? No, it's not really dangerous. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's, it, in fact, people with capsic contraction, I always tell them to wait as long as possible before having any surgery because it'll happen to the next set of implants. It's just scar tissue forming around the implant, gradually tightening around the implant. Is that coming up? My question, right, why is my scar not suitable for surgery? Photos. Now, if anyone were around earlier on Instagram, you might have seen me. Now I can slickly do this. Check that out, guys. Now, I hope that's as impressive for you as it is for me. And Facebook, yes. Facebook, there. Check that out. So, this is ProSkills. This is how it's done. So this person has uh, got in touch who, uh, and they want their, I think it's a burn. I think, uh, I don't entirely know what's happened here, but I, I think it's some kind of burn. There seems to be little, two little dots of pigment. And is it a smiley face? I don't know what it is, but basically it's, it's, it's a red, redness of the skin. It's scarring of the skin from, from, I think it's a, think it's a self-inflicted burn and that this patient doesn't like it and wants it removed this is actually really hard to remove it's right in the elbow there um, you can see from this photo this bit further back sorry I haven't got the further back photo for Instagram kind of everything but it's, it's right in the elbow here and um, and actually if you look at the whole surface of the of the of the um, of the scar it's quite a big area. if you're gonna cut the whole lot out you're gonna cut out a big area and what sometimes people do, and I say, look, you've got to have skin laxity, and what's on, they'll bend their arm and they go, look, look, let's pinch all that skin and it'll all go. The problem is you've got to straighten your arm again. And whilst you might be able to bend your arm and get cut all that skin out, it's going to be really tight. And um, it's, it's going to leave quite a long scar. It's not a great place for a scar. We've got to decide which way to put the scar. If you put it that way, put it that way it's where the skin laxity is but every time you move your arm it's going to be uh, tending to pull it open if you put it that way along the arm which would be better because then it's not under tension when you're moving your arm um, but a scar crossing the joint crossing the elbow joint is never great because it can potentially uh, restrict movement so it's just an all-round bad bad thing and I don't know how old it is I don't know how old this this burn is I think it's a burn I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's a burn um but I would say look let's I would just leave it and hope it fades a bit more 
because I think cutting it out would be too big a deal and could cause potential problems uh, worse than what uh, what you have at the moment. Although I understand, obviously, this person doesn't like it, otherwise I wouldn't be seeking help. But I would say leave it and not go down the cutting out route is my view on that one, personally. But I'm very happy about showing that photo. That was good. Now the question is, how do I get it off? Right, how do I get the photo off on Instagram now? There you go, like that. Look at that. Awesome. Um, right. Should I be applying antibiotic cream or scar healing cream at four weeks post-op? Right. Um, well, the antibiotic cream, sometimes for certain surgeries, we. this is just me now. So full disclosure, don't listen to this. If you're having surgery with someone else, or you've, um, you know, you, you've got a surgeon to do whatever they say, don't listen to me. But, you know, since you're here, I'll tell you what I do. Um, sometimes for some operations, usually, slash always really thinking about it, on the face, basically, operations on the face, we don't put dressings on. Um, so I just put a bit of antibiotic ointment on. I usually use chlorophenicol eye ointment. You can use Bactroban, Mupiracin, um, you know, just some kind of ointment to put on two or three times a day. And the good thing about that is it keeps the scar moist, but it also has some antibiotic in it. And you just put it on usually for a week just till the stitches come out. Um, for other operations without a dressing on, then obviously the dressing's on for that week. <clears throat> and then we take the dressing off. So for most operations, I don't use the antibiotic ointment. Um, four weeks post-op, I mean, I'm personally, I normally say six weeks, but depends on how things heal, you can start massaging your scar to help it to soften and settle. All scars at four to six weeks post-op will be quite red and will be quite firm. And so you can start massaging it. Now, I would say massaging it with uh, with moisturizer, with any sort of um, uh, any sort of cream that you've got. There's no evidence to say that one cream is better than another. Now, there are certain scar healing creams, which are usually silicone creams, and silicone gel, they're usually gel actually, rather than cream. They come in a gel or a sheet, which are specific for scar reduction, but they're usually for problem scars, lumpy scars, hypertrophic scars, or keloid scars that we were talking about earlier. And most scars aren't that. So most scars just need normal cream massaging and don't need silicone uh, ointment or gel. But um, if you do have a problem scar, then you can start using that at four, four to six weeks post-op. So you don't necessarily need scar healing cream. Any cream will do um, that you can just moisturize and massage. And it's more the massage than the than the actual cream itself uh, that does that. Is it safe to be mashing the scar around the nipple? Massaging, yeah. Usually the horizontal, if you've, I'm assuming you had some kind of breast reduction, have you, Olivia, or a lift? So um, usually the horizontal scar is more of a problem around the T-junction, but definitely the nipple scar as well. Yeah, uh, as I personally, I wait for six weeks. Talk to your surgeon, Olivia, because they've got to make sure the wounds have healed. You don't want to go massaging it too soon because you don't want to put tension on the wound. I've got a feeling I've got a little ones come up on Instagram. I've got a feeling I've got a question there. If I play my cards right, Douglas, here we go. Just FYI, Motiva silk surface is classified as a smooth implant, but has peaks that reduce CC. Unlike, oh, here we go. Well, un, oh, where's the rest gone? Unlike tradition. Sorry, Douglas. The rest isn't. <laughs> the rest isn't showing. Yeah. Now, um, also, just FYI, Douglas works for Motiva, so J Douglas is getting that in there. Yeah. 
Um, so it's a bit rough. It's not quite as rough as a rough one, not quite as smooth as a smooth one, nano textured or whatever you want to call it, micro textured. That's what that is. Thanks for clarifying that, Douglas. Excellent. Very good. Sorry, I don't know what you were in. Unlike tradish, I don't know what you were in there. But um, yeah, it's a thing. Um, I think you probably know, Douglas, I'm not completely sold on it. The silk surface and the nano texture thing, not 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 a huge, massive fan of it. I think it's probably got a place. Um, I think you've got to be a bit careful when people try and tell you one's the best because I think there's good stuff about smooth. I think there's good stuff about textured. I think there's good stuff about polyurethane. I think there's good stuff about nano textured, and it's about balancing it all up. So um, that's where I am with it. But, yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. Uh, what's going on here? Uplift and implants. Yes, 205 cc's. Okay, Olivia, good. So yes, you can massage your scar around the around the uplift. Um, is it normal for swelling in one breast to be more than the other breast after breast lift with implants? There you go, Olivia. There's a breast lift with implants question right after that. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, and to be honest, never mind breast lift with implants after whatever, after just the implants after breast lift, after breast reduction, after anything, it's it's normal for one side to be more whatever, painful, swollen. Sometimes one side sits higher than the other. Sometimes one nipple's more sensitive or less sensitive or whatever. So it's very normal, even though you do exactly the same thing to both breasts, for one to be better or worse than the other. So completely don't worry about it. I normally say that things start to settle around three months so don't worry until around three months um, and then you get an idea where things are going to be and they can take 6 12 even 18 months for them to properly settle so um it does take a while to settle so uh here we go what's this i, I did a did someone really ask this question or is it just the is it just megan putting this question in what qualifications should i be looking for when choosing a surgeon let me think about that. Well, you know what? Is it a bit boring me doing this every time, every week? What qualifications? I'll tell you what qualifications. That's what qualifications are right there. FRCS Plast. Right? FRCS Plast. Um, so, yeah, I mean... The qualifications you're looking for, you want to look for them to be on the specialist register. Yeah, Kim, you got the book. I'm ahead of you, Kim. You got to look for someone on the specialist register, really, uh, for, for for the surgery you're interested in having. So I'm assuming it's plastic surgery for the circumstances of this. So uh, FRCS with plast in brackets after it would signify they have got the specialist fellowship in plastic surgery. A lot of places will say all our surgeons are GMC registered. Well, that happens in the first year of qualifying for a doctor. So you would hope that everyone's GMC registered. Some places will say all our surgeons are FRCS are fellows or members of the Royal College of Surgeons. Um, but that's, again, quite a basic qualification. You do, um, you become a fellow or a member of, when I did it, we, we became fellows of the Royal College of Surgeons. They changed it to member of the Royal College of Surgeons. So FRCS or, or MRCS is quite a relatively basic uh, qualification. That means you can do appendicectomies and, you know, you can sort of do some basic surgery. Uh, once you've got your fellowship or your membership with the Royal College of Surgeons, you can then 
continue and do a period of study for your specialist fellowship. And that's an extra six years or so, give or take, of specialist uh, surgical training in a surgical specialty, which might be plastic surgery, um, orthopedic surgery, ENT surgery, maxillofacial surgery, whatever. It can be in, a special, in, a, in, in one of the surgical specialties. Um, and when you finish that training, then you have another exam and you have an exit, what's called an exit exam, where you get the specialist fellowship uh, and you get entered onto the specialist register for the GMC. So it's every doctor should be on the GMC register, but only people who finish specialist training will be on the specialist register. So if you go on the GMC website, gmc-uk.org, I think it is, and it says something like search credentials. If someone's got a funny name like me, Styano, you could search by their surname and you probably find them. But if they're called Smith or, or, a, or a more common name, then you might... Uh, need their GMC number. 4117214 is my GMC number. We're all encouraged to share our GMC numbers with um, patients if, if uh, you know, so you can, you know, check us out. Uh, 4117214. Um, and it'll say whether they're on the specialist register and if so, in what. So it should say specialist register for plastic surgery since whatever, 2007 or whatever. I don't know how long I've been on it, but. Um, so um, yeah, that's the qualification. So uh, FRCS Plus uh, for older surgeons, and God knows I'm getting old now. So I don't know if there are any left, but there probably there may be who were around before you had to do the FRCS Plus exam. So there might be some surgeons who haven't got FRCS Plus, but are still are still uh, um, uh, specialist plastic surgeons. Um, the other way you can do it is look for people who are members of BARPS and BAPRAS. British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, that's BARPS, and British Association of Plastic Reconstruction and Aesthetic Surgeons is BAPRAS, because you can only be members of those if you're a fully trained plastic surgeon. And the, finally, you can look for someone who's an NHS consultant. A lot of people think NHS is sort of lesser than private practice, but actually, when you're going through training, the pinnacle of your training is becoming an NHS consultant. That's when you've finished your training and are fully trained. And uh, so look for someone who is or has been. I've left the NHS now, but I was a full, a, a permanent, full-time uh, NHS consultant plastic surgeon um, you know, before I left. So look for someone who is or has been an NHS consultant. So those are the things to look for a suitably qualified surgeon. And look for someone who you can talk to who you don't feel intimidated by um, as well. Well, you get all those together, flipping it, you've struck gold. There we go, Olivia. Four to one seven two one four. That's the uh, GMC number of this guy right here. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks for publishing that. Uh, look at this one. We've got last one here. Got finishing on this one. Instagram. You can't. I'll read it out for you. Instagram. Is clitoral desensitization after Mons lift common, and how long does it last for? Uh, I've got to be honest with you, um, this is, it, it is a thing. I mean, the mons is the, air, the, the area around the pubic hair. And um, if someone has lost a lot of weight, they can have a totic mons. They can have too much skin uh, uh, and, and fat around the mons area. So you can debulk that um, and, and take some skin out and, and remo remove it and, and close it. And, and with any sort of lift, I guess, you're closing it tight. And one of the issues with uh, closing it tight is it can lift the, 
the clitoris up. And actually, one of the problems, uh, more than desensitization, is sensitization. It's often overly sensitive um, in that the, the clitoris has been pulled up a bit, and it can be a bit overly sensitive, a bit uncomfortable. And the hope is that with any surgery, when things are closed tight, it will relax and it will improve. But that is why you've got to be a bit careful when you're doing this surgery. You don't want to make it too tight because you don't want to do too much of a clitoral lift because it, because it can be quite uncomfortable. Um, I've got to be honest, I don't do many non-mons lifts, so it's not really, so I've never seen desensitization. Presumably me is less sensitive. I guess that could be a thing. I can't quite work out the mechanism of that, but I guess, um, but I, I, um, I wouldn't say it's common. And I say, if anything, the common thing is sensitization or, or sensitivity increasing because it's been lifted and it can be a little bit uncomfortable. A bit like any surgery when you get problems with the sensitivity, you can either get increased or decreased. Like, for instance, breast reduction with the nipple sensitivity can either be increased or decreased. And, and often increased sensitivity is actually worse than decreased sensitivity because it can be a bit uncomfortable uh, and it can feel a bit strange uh, when it's when it's overly sensitive. Is this from Prof Kerrigan? Lol. Uh, I don't know who Prof Kerrigan is. Uh, Guess you fantastic. And I don't know who it's from. So no, I, I don't know. Um, is this from you, Prof Kerrigan? No, don't know. So that was good. Good to be back. Next week. What's next week? What are we eighth? Huh? This is, Christmas is coming, guys. It's the eighth. So next week's a normal day, isn't it? Oh, actually, am I doing it next week? I think I'm doing it next week. I think I'm doing it next week. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. If you've got any questions, what? Um, please post them. Olivia's posted one just now. Get, get in there, Olivia. Like it, like it. Quick question. At what point will nipples go erect again? Oh, blimey. Flipping neck. Right. Well, this comes back to the sensitivity thing. And sensitivity can be decreased or increased, as I say. And uh, we, as we said, we're talking about lift with implants. So a lift is less problems with the sensitivity than, than a reduction. Um, and and uh, when you say go erect again, I think you, probably what you mean is become reactive. So I don't think they're going to just sort of become erect and stay erect, but become reactive. So when you do a lift or a reduction, there is a risk that the sensitivity of the nipple can be altered, that can either be decreased or increased. And uh, so presuming it's decreased, um, that might come back. It might not. You can never guarantee it's going to come back. But with a lift, it's more likely to come back than with a reduction. Uh, and you might have to wait many months, like nine months, 12 months. It can take a long time for the sensitivity to come back. And as I say, you can't ever guarantee it will, but let's hope it will. But it can take a long, long time, Olivia, for the sensitivity to come back. I'm hoping it'll be shorter, but it can take a long time for that to come back to life. So, God willing, I will be here next Tuesday, 7 p.m. Save the date. What is the date? 8 plus 7. 15, 15th of December, um, and that will be the week before, when, what day is Christmas? Anyway, it'll be coming up to Christmas, won't it? Uh, Christmas on Friday, so yeah, it'll be the week before. So listen, get your festive questions in, um, or plastic surgery, festive or plastic surgery questions, I'll, I'll do both, and um, very much looking forward to it, 7pm on this modality, which is uh, Instagram, and on this modality, which is Facebook Live, Olivia, night, night to yourself. And to all you people out there, uh, get your hot water bottles on because the temperature's dropped 
and I will see you same time, same place in the show. End the show. Stop in the stream. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.